Um, <laughs> I've gone, I went very far away from my body earlier in my life. Um, and I think that's um, an issue for a, a lot of people, you know, for one reason or another. When we're young, we have different experiences or just our society, which is so speedy and digital and encourages us to come into the mind. And often we bring that same approach when we come to meditation. So I started off kind of in the mind, very high in the mind, and then hit the floor very hard, and then slowly <laughs> kind of found a way back. Um, and actually realized that this, um, that body in the Buddhist teaching is the first foundation of mindfulness because it's very, very important. It's not because it's a preliminary thing that you kind of scoop through in order to be able to handle the mind. So, um, so I just first of all wanted to start off with finding out who has heard of the three marks of existence in Buddhism. The three marks of existence. Nope. Okay. So this is like a, a really central teaching and it's one which can um, help to give a context to meditation and to what I'm about to talk about. Um, so the first mark of existence is uh, said to be suffering. So when we're born in a human body with a mind that grasps, uh, we suffer, essentially. And this was, uh, the Buddha pointed to our suffering as a doorway to help us to open to something beyond our habitual experience. So <clears throat> basically, he said we suffer. This is the first mark of existence. The second mark of existence is that everything is changing. Everything is impermanent. And if we look around here, nature is a very good teacher for that. So the trees are growing, the leaves are falling, the crickets are chirping, cicadas, not crickets, are chirping the wind is moving, there's actually nothing that is in a state of absolute stillness. And so we have this uh, ideal of aspiring to stillness in meditation, but actually it's more a sense of presence in the flow of what is happening, because our body is changing all the time. So we don't, the thing why we suffer is because we think it's not we push away this impermanence. So the third mark of existence is non-self. And what we do is we, we don't want things to change, so we create a rigid sense of identity, so we suffer. And it makes the cycle go round and round and round and round. Does that make sense? Yeah? <clears throat> and so when I first heard the teaching on non-self, that sounded very distant and high and like, oh, you've got to drop all your self-concepts. And, and it's impossible to do it with the mind. Your mind will just lead you round and round in circles. And um, Ajahn Chah, who was the, the founder of the tradition that I was trained in, he said, your head will explode. If you try and work out non-self with your mind, your head will explode. <laughs> Um, my own experience is more that I uh, got very tight-hearted. 
I so wanted to work everything out with my mind that my, I became very tight um, and very controlling. And then crashed. Um, so the reason I'm saying all of this is because what Yuha was introducing this morning about relaxing into the body, first of all, just relaxing, it brings a different approach to meditation where we're not clinging so much, we're not creating a sense of self who wants to meditate, who wants to work everything out. So this attitude of relaxing is very, very important. And coming into the body is like a real portal into a different way of experiencing our being. <clears throat> and I think, um, and, and it's not easy for some of us. So like the body holds a lot of memories. It has a language that is different from the mind's language. And sometimes the mind doesn't want to accept the way the body's talking. It doesn't want to go, oh, sen sensation is just like this. I can't control it. I can't name it necessarily. It's like this. And so it's like trying to get two parts of ourselves to meet um, that the mind doesn't always want to. So it's like, well, how can we, uh, how can we invite the mind into a different experience in our body? And into an experience where we're not going, this is my body, it's beautiful, it's not beautiful, it uh, has this problem here and this capacity here. You know, we tend to come into it with that me, mine, this is who I am. And so there's different ways of coming into it, which can be like learning to taste into different aspects of our being that we don't usually. And so some of what the Buddha describes are, um, some of these ways are very useful. So um, and what happens when we deepen in this way is it's like creating a larger field of our own, our own being from which we can respond to ourselves and to the world. So... Um, so we come into the flow of life, but life doesn't always, you know, it's not always about just going with the flow. So, you know, kids in detention camps on the, in the south of America, you don't go with the flow of that, you know, or um, what we're doing with the planet, you know, our, our way of consuming. It's like you don't always go with the easiest flow. It's good to question. And what we do in deepening into our being and opening out our field of being in the ways I'm going to describe is we create a different basis from which we can respond, a larger, more connected basis. Sometimes, and sometimes we're caught in our little, you know, our little me kind of thing. So, um, but that's, this is, this is how I find it to be in practice that, um, so, so one of the tools that the Buddha talks about in the four foundations of mindfulness, so in the first foundation, the first foundation of body, um, he talks about um, noticing the elements. So that can sound already very theoretical. When I first heard about this practice, I was like, yeah, another list. You know, it's like there's so many lists of teachings. I was like, yeah, right, okay. You know, not another one. Um, and then 
I listened a little bit, and um, and then I, um, as I came into my body, I started to go, oh yeah, earth elements. So in this teaching on the elements, the Buddha says, notice the earth element inwardly and the earth element outwardly, and what he, and and inwardly and outwardly. So it's like the earth element in our body is that which is weighty, that which is solid. That which the mind doesn't have an easy time accepting because the mind likes to flutter about and and the body is like it's like the bones, the flesh, the nails, the teeth, the hair. These are all hard things, like the earth that's on the ground. And so being in a place like this is a really good uh, place to contemplate the earth element because we're eating vegetables from the garden but the compost from your emptying on the compost heap goes onto the garden helps to grow the vegetables we're eating we're pooing it's going onto another compost site that goes on the fruit trees there's this whole cycle of being that we're actually part of if we start to tune into these elements and once you start to recognize, for me, once I start to recognize that, I'm, I'm like, oh, this body is not just a little me wandering along. It's deeply, deeply connected. It's deeply dependent and it's deeply connected in the way that I wish to take care of my environment. And for me, this cuts directly to the root of a lot of the problems that we're having in society and in relation to the planet at the moment, because we're out of touch with these cycles. So for me, this kind of elements practice is like hair raising. It's like, oh, come on, everybody, <laughs> you know, you, we need to be doing this, you know. And yet in our habitual lives, we're so removed from it. So we buy things in plastic packaging from shops that uh, is shipped in from far away or you may have a community garden which is wonderful so there are people who are definitely moving towards this and there are also people who are very afraid of it so you know here it's quite deliberate that we um, we have a compost toilet that we need to empty we need to be in contact with the poo because <laughs> it's like we don't we habitually have a version to those things why it's just part of the cycle it's part and if we can relax in this cycle we can be more centered and well in ourselves and then also in how we're living in this this planet so like just that contemplation of earth element can help open out to a larger field of what we are and gratitude also so like water element it's like there i just had a drink of water it's very very hot and uh, and it's like this water outside is coming into my body it's actually creating my body and there's a gratitude then which is also a different element from what we habitually get about with we habitually turn the tap on drink leave you know rush on to the next thing so what Yuha was saying about the body being slower, it's like we're slowing down into these rhythms. And the Buddha said explicitly contemplate these elements internally, externally, and internally and externally, the connection between the two. And this is a really, really powerful practice. So 
those earth elements, water elements, even the moisture in the air, you know, or being able to go for a swim. What does that do to your inner state, actually? And why does it do it? It's because we have the same elements inside. And fire, heat, so it's very hot outside, so we rebalance by going for a cool dip or having a drink of water. Air, the breath, very directly, inward, outward. We can't go two minutes without the air, we die. But how often do we actually take this in? And space, so what I was uh, introducing last night, space is also an element in Buddhism which is very nice to contemplate because uh, often when we suffer and we're caught in, a, in our habit patterns we feel no space, our mind is very tight. Um, and one of the, I've actually heard somebody translate the word dukkha which is what is translated as suffering or stress, they've translated it as no space the experience of no space. Whereas if you open your eyes, tune into your environment, like we have a big space, even if you're in quite a small space, you still have space. And then on a cellular level, we have space. We have space inside us. We have space in our lungs also. We have space in our ears, in our noses, in our stomachs, in our bones. We're also made of space. And so it's a very different way of starting to perceive our being. Um, and it's a really, really useful practice. It really is a doorway into a different uh, way of experiencing ourselves. So personally, I find that pra this practice to be really, really helpful as a way of coming out of my habitual sense of who I am into a larger field, which doesn't take away um, the issues that I've got going on, but it creates a, a larger picture from which to then engage in a different way. So I'm not coming at my whatever's going on from the same habitual mind. I'm coming at it from a different place, which can be really, really helpful. Um, so that's one way of coming into the body that the Buddha talks about. Um, he also talks about it very simply as just noticing, I'm coming, I'm going. Just that, that simple noticing, which we've been doing also. Um, so does anyone have any questions about that? Or maybe at the end, do you have questions? So I feel that um, that cultivation of a larger field is really important and it's like we can't know the results of it. So it's like you plant your seeds in the garden and you water them, but you don't know what's going to come through from that. And that's a really, really helpful um, approach to meditation because it's like... Um, often, as I said, we approach meditation with this idea that we 
for some reason it's like this thing that we feel we should be in control of it's like you know if you try and swim and be in control if you don't let your body do what it needs to do you're kind of in trouble if you start getting really self-conscious about it or riding a bike or you know there's lots of these things where we actually we shift into a different gear because it's a, it's letting our being do what it needs to do whereas in meditation for some reason we have this attitude of like oh I should be I should know what I'm doing and I should be totally present with everything at all times and and it's not possible it's just not possible and so there's a lot of unlearning and a lot of learning to tune in in a different way and this elements practices is one way of doing that so I encourage you to experiment with it as as you go about this place this is a very easy relatively easy place to do it um, because we're so exposed to the elements and that's deliberate so um, Yeah, so just experiment. And then another practice that I really like, um, but isn't in the first foundation of mindfulness, it's not in the teaching of the, the body, but it's taught elsewhere, is um, working with the senses. So again, in a lot of styles of meditation, there's the, there can be an encouragement to totally close down the senses. So you sit in a very quiet place, um, you have your eyes closed, you're, you eat simply. Um, I, was, I was in a monastery for a long time and that was certainly the, quite a lot of the encouragement there. Um, and it has its value because that can be really um, simplifying and centering. So it's like you're bringing your energy inwards. So that can be really, really helpful. And it can, can become problematic if you become dependent on being withdrawn from the senses in order to have a sense of centeredness and well-being. So the Buddha talks about seclusion of the heart, um, but it's seclusion. But so you can have seclusion of the body, which is basically that putting yourself in a controlled environment. But seclusion of the heart, for me, is something different. It's like how can there be a sense of centeredness and listening and curiosity and openness? when there's actually life is going on when we're sitting on a meditation platform where the wind is rustling wind is blowing the leaves are rustling the platform's creaking the crickets are chirping uh, there's warm there's cold um, for me that's that seclusion of the heart is about oh can there be a sense of presence which actually welcomes and is able to stay steady and open with these sense impressions and that is related to also being able to receive the mind as a sense as a sense also so in buddhism there's six senses it's sometimes said the six senses so there's all of the ones we talk about eyes ears nose tongue body and the mind is also said to be a sense 
So, and for me, that's really, really helpful because, um, like, as the eye sees, as the nose smells, the mind thinks. So again, we often blame and judge ourselves that our mind is thinking, but it's what it's there to do. It's like that's its function. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like you don't get cross with your eye because when you open your eyes, it sees you half sitting there. It's like, no, no, don't do that. You know, it's like, but this is what we do with our minds. We go, okay, I'm gonna sit in meditation. I'm gonna be calm. And then the mind starts and we judge ourselves. It's actually the mind is a, is a sense organ. It's, it's there to think, that's what it's made to do. So, you know, it's like, so again, it's this question of how do we find spaciousness? How do we find a different way of being that allows that, but is not pushed around by it. It's push, pull, want, don't want. And so there's a teaching around the senses that um, I find very helpful on this. Um, so it's, a, it's a, a person called Bahia who goes to the Buddha and says, um, basically teach me the Dharma, teach me, you know, what I need to know. And the Buddha's on arms round, so the Buddha says, actually, <laughs> it's not a good time. I'm just about to get my food, you know, not a good time. So then Bahia says, you know, please, you know, and, um, and the Buddha goes again, it's not a good time. And then Bahia asks again, and the Buddha kind of has this thing that if someone asks three times, then he'll, he'll do it. So he was on arms round, but he gave him this teaching. Um, and so he says, uh, Bahia, you should train yourself thus. Um, in reference to the scene, there will be only the scene. In reference to the herd, only the herd. In reference to the sense, only the sense. In reference to the cognized, only the cognized. That is how you should train yourself. When for you there will be only the scene in reference to the scene, only the herd in reference to the herd, only the sensed in reference to the sense, only the cognized in reference to the cognized, then Bahia, there is no you in connection with that. When there is no you in connection with that, there is no you there. When there is no you there, you are neither here nor yonder, nor between the two. This, just this, is the end of stress. So when I um, first heard that, um, and I think this can be the case for a lot of people, there was a sense of uh, threatenedness and that like my meanness is going to disappear. That somehow it's wrong to exist as an individual being and that I'm just going to dissolve into this big ocean of um, porridge-like material. And actually what I have a sense of is that it's this thing of being able to allow impressions in, being able to really receive impressions, and we are here in that sense, there is an awareness, a consciousness here that is really receiving, 
that it's really inhabiting this body. But where we suffer is when we grasp either what is coming in or that sense of this is who I am forever. So we fix it and we want to be safe and secure and in doing that we create suffering. So and we can start to taste the other side of it. If for, for me for instance I practice a lot with sound. So right now this is a pretty noisy place. We say we're in silence but it's actually a pretty noisy place which you start to notice when we're not making noise. And usually we're quite loud and now we're not and everything else is able to show itself. Um, <clears throat> but it's like if I notice sound coming in, it's actually what is that sound arriving in? And for me there's a sense of vast space, there's like a... Um, so the cicadas are continuous so it's harder to catch it, but if you, if it's like... For me there's like a sense of vast space and then you don't expect it coming and then this arises and resonates through the space. And disappears. It's gone. And it's gone into space. So and if I don't grasp it and go, that's a bell and what does that mean? And am I in the wrong place? And, you know, then there is just this beautiful arising in space and leaving. Does that make some sense? Yeah. And so if I practice like that with sound, which I do a lot, or with sensations, so like when I'm doing walking meditation and there's the very simple sensation of the foot meeting the earth in a sense of spaciousness without going uh, I don't know um, without thinking about what's happening there's just the foot which is quite pleasurable actually it's, it's a easeful sensation if I just allow that to arise in its simplicity without adding on to it, it's like learning to receive some of these simple impressions in an in a open way into experience. So practicing that with, with sound, with body, senses, with taste. So like with the food, we, we have an opportunity now. We're in silence. We're not like, okay, stuff it in so we can get on with the next thing, you know. It's like a moment to, to sit and to be with your food, to taste your food, to feel what that, this does to your body, in your body, to feel if your mind suddenly starts going, and I want more, and is there going to be enough? And, but to bring it back to like the, the actual experience of tasting, that so often we don't do this. We don't. We, um, and I've done it the other day. We, we bought some ice creams yesterday. And we still got three in the freezer. And last night I was like, oh, there's three ice creams in the freezer. You know? <laughs> and it's like I'm, I'm thinking about it. And uh, it's like, it's all right. I don't have to have an ice cream. But it's like I don't, either don't have to judge that thought. So it's learning how to apply these same qualities to our thoughts. So like as we receive that sound, that bell, ah, listen. It can be a wonderment and a spaciousness 
or with taste. Oh, taste. Hmm. And you notice the train of thought that goes onto it. Same thing with thought. We can go, oh, thought. <laughs> Here you are, you know, arising in space and able to leave again. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it kind of allows us to take a step um, or to hold it in a larger space. Um, so that it can come in, it can go out, and then this isn't to say that we should never address things, it's just to say that we're making space so that we can then learn to approach in a way that we can actually meet what's going on, rather than come in with our habitual mind of, um, I want it to be like this, I don't want it to be like this, I, you know, oh this thought again, this has been happening for 20 years, you know, when's it ever going to end? Uh, and we create our sense of self ongoingly through doing this. So practicing with the senses in this way can also really help us to step back and out and into a sense of aliveness, um, connected aliveness and presence that then can, can then come back into our experience and meet it in a different way. And, and also remember, like that we are actually part of this larger experience all the time if we can just not forget it <laughs> kind of thing so this is actually um i like the word remember because somebody once said they were like oh yeah you can break it down into um in uk english anyway i don't know if this is true everywhere but a mem uh, like you can have a uh, this is a member of the body you know and a, a body uh, a leg is a member kind of thing and it's like remembering, rebodying, re coming in to ourselves in a different way. And so I find these ways of coming into body really, really helpful because if we just try and dive in sometimes and we have got trauma going on or there's a lot of pain, it it can be too intense and too much and too hard. And we have this whole other field, this whole other way of coming into our bodies, which can just really help us to remember we are this too, this too, this too, we are connected. And so when we start to touch into pain or more entangled states in the mind or in the body, we have a different resource with which to do that, um, which is really, really helpful. So yeah, I just, um, there are so many tools. The breath is another one. Um, uh, contemplating our aging, sickening, dying, which sounds again, you know, like so many of the Buddhist teachings, they, take, they sound really grim from the outside. It's like, oh, great, you know, contemplate death. But actually, the one sure thing in our life is that we're going to die. That's the only sure thing. It's like everything else is uncertain, but the sure thing is that we're going to die. Um, and so I actually find it really refreshing that the Buddha encouraged us to turn around to this reality 
because in fighting it we do all sorts of ridiculous things you know we try and protect ourselves all the time from um aging or from i mean sickness we can do some things with now so it's not like you just give up and die you know if you get a bit sick but it's it's that that belief that there's something wrong if we're aging something wrong if we're dying which our culture really really encourages it really encourages the idea that there is something wrong even with aging and then um i mentioned in a talk a while ago that you know my older brother who's only slightly older than i am he was buying face cream with fetal tissue in it because fetal tissue has regenerative cells you'll know about this but is maybe but um it it takes your wrinkles away because they the cells regenerate quicker than other types of cells and so he was buying this tissue with this cream with fetal tissue in it i'm like (laughs) it just seems to me crazy it's like our bodies age this is what they do and it's not like i like my wrinkles but I don't dislike them either. They're just part of the process of like, there's a brown leaf there kind of thing. So, you know, this encouragement to actually face up to some of the realities of our lives is a gift because we spend so much energy and resource trying to run away from it, trying to get away from it and trying to say it's not true when actually these are the, these, this is gonna happen. So like, we create a lot of stress for ourselves in doing that. And so our body is a real teacher in that way. You know, that suddenly you may lose the capacity. And how do we meet that? How do we accept it? And work with it in a way that is not just pushing it away and isn't either craving into, you know, oh poor me victim, you know. But like, oh, this is, this is life, actually. So it's actually an invitation to, if we deny our death, we, in, in effect, we, we turn away from our real aliveness. Because this is what's going on. And this is the invitation then to turn around to our life as it is, in its beauty, in its youth, in its aging. Um, and curiosity, I'm like, oh, look, they're coming. They're coming, you know, the, the white hairs, they're coming. And, you know, and it's like, oh, five years ago, I didn't have that. And uh, and now I really need to do yoga or I start to go, <laughs> crack, crack, you know. And um, and people started calling me, in, in, in France, there's a difference. Mademoiselle is like, okay, you're still young. Madame is like, okay, you're old now <laughs> or you're married. And people have started calling me Madame, you know, when I go into town, I'm like, hi, Madame, that's me. <laughs> and um, so just these, these things. So, yeah, I mean, we, Yuha and I were talking about different chants that we might introduce in the evening. And one of the chants is around um, old age, sickness and death. And so I kind of wanted to say this as well, because we will do that chant. And it'd be interesting to see how you feel with it, you know, whether it feels like a like, grim, or whether it can be this invitation to aliveness, to be alive with how things are as they are now. Because 
even in the classical Buddhist teaching, the Buddha talks about death, but as a, he talks about it also as a way of arousing presence and urgency in this life. We need to be here now because we don't actually have that long. So be here now. And he also talks about precious human rebirth, which is that ties into a whole kind of rebirth belief system which one doesn't have to believe in but like to recognize the preciousness of one's being as it is now can be really really helpful because again when we get tied into our identities and our sense of our issues and all of that we forget all of that we forget that we're connected by the elements that we're our senses are actually miraculous wondrous things that we could can use to clear actually our being we don't have to just fill up with them they can help to clear things out and, and we forget that our aging our vulnerability as human beings is also a gift because if we were fixed entities we would be very very unalive whereas because we're part of this flow it's like learning how to tune into it um, in a way that we accept and we can then respond more fully. So, um, and where this for me tunes into the larger situation is also that in accepting and being more sensitive in our own being, we bring that connectedness to our decisions in the outer world. So that's very much part of what we're trying to do here, where we, you know, we try and be careful with resources, where we buy organic, local you know, we try and support local producers and and it's like a, a lot of the a lot of the difficulty that we're having, you know, on a social mm, environmental level at the moment is uh, is I feel because of the we disconnect from these levels of being basically. So this isn't this is about us and our own practice, our own hearts, and it's also about the ripples, and that's without a should. It's more around a curiosity around this process. Um, so does that make sense? Um, maybe I'll just finish with a poem unless anybody has any questions. practically to connect with the elements. What do you do? Do you think of soil in the soil in you? I so with earth body, um I mean maybe we'll have time to do a guided meditation at some point, but um with earth and so earth is one of the more difficult ones in a way because food is like so we eat food which is solid but it's a bit of a metaphor for earth we don't really we don't eat soil directly we don't eat what has come from the soil um but earth um for me is and in the, the teachings is is the solid element so feeling the weight it's feeling the weight of the body feeling that which is hard in the body as like when you walk on the earth you feel the earth as solid so it's like feeling what is solid in you so there are many things there's there's the weight of the body there's the bones the fingernails the teeth the, the hair um, all of those things are, are very tangibly solid elements in the body 
Um, and you feel that through coming inwardly into, or if that's not so easy, just feeling the contact. So that's, that's quite a, um, that's the easiest way to do it, is to just feel the contact of the body of the earth. But like water element is very, very tangible. You drink it and your mouth is less dry, you know, or, or you can contemplate the liquid in your eyes or um, when you pee, this is water element coming out, you know, it's like, and so it's water in, water out, this is what's happening kind of thing. Or air is really, it's like it's, this is happening. But it is important to do it from a mind which isn't trying to get hold of things too tightly because the body the experience is not as clear as the mind experience. So my, I had a lot of trouble with this because my mind wanted to kind of know, know these things in its own language, if you like, which is concepts, and these are not concepts. So to actually just accept, I can have this vague sense of solidity. I can have a vague sense of the liquid in my body. That's a bit of a step to learn to accept that our, our body experiences, it speaks a different language. It's vaguer, it's vibrating, it's moving, it's, it's not fixed, and it, you can't get hold of it. So it's, it's like almost opening to it in a bit of a softer, bigger, gentler lens. Does that make sense? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, fi I find like the easiest ones to start with are like water or air. Or even space, like, you know, you're breathing in the space here, space in the mouth, you know, um, yeah. And then you can go into the more subtle levels of actually the, the space in all of our cells. And, you know, it's like, we, we, are, we have a lot of space in us, actually. Yeah, or you can intentionally decide, so, so like you can intentionally decide today, uh, or this, set, this session I'm going to contemplate earth, or when you're eating is a really nice time to contemplate earth, because it's like this is, you know, but it can also be your heart can be moved at a certain time, you're suddenly starting to connect in a way, and then it can be really good to take that lead from your intuition that now is a good moment to, to contemplate, yeah, this, this way, yeah. Okay, so I'll just read a poem to finish. This is not Buddhist, this is love poems from God, which is from all sorts of mystical traditions. But um, I find the language, one doesn't have to use the term God in a kind of theo uh, what's the word? Theistic kind of a way, it's, for me it's representing the, the, just the larger beingness and the miracle, the wonder of what we are. So um, this is by a poet called Tukaram, who lived in the 17th century in India and he was very irreverent, but this isn't a very irreverent one. So it's landlocked in fur. 
I was meditating with my cat the other day, who's not here, um, and all of a sudden she shouted, what happened? I knew exactly what she meant, but encouraged her to say more, feeling that if she got it all out on the table, she would sleep better that night. So I responded, tell me more, dear. And she soulfully meowed, well, I was mingled with the sky. I was comets whizzing here and there. I was suns in heat, hell. I was galaxies. But now look, I am landlocked in fur. To this I said, I know exactly what you mean. What to say about conversations between mystics. Thank you for listening and we'll just take whatever's helpful and the rest let it flow away with the wind. Um, and we can have a period now where you're welcome to walk or to sit um, or to do a bit of both until six o'clock. So, but if you go off the platform and come back on part way through then just be gentle, be aware there's other people sitting. Yeah.